following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. And yes, I am here. I am well. And uh, Carter is not alone in the studio today. And so we've got a full studio this afternoon. I'm not alone because we also have a phone. We do. Our phones are fixed. I learned that I uh, <laughs> had some more phone problems. Seems like WOW is having some phone issues over the past couple of months. And so it's, it, I mean, we lost it for like two days yeah. a couple months ago. Yeah, we and did. And we, we got it back. Right after the show, apparently. It's convenient, right? It's very, very convenient. Well, I'm Jacob Goins. He's Carter Bird here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. And uh, as it's been pretty much all baseball season in the first hour on Thursdays, Lindsey Crosby joining us yet again. Uh, we must be doing something right. He, he keeps coming back. So, Lindsey, it's good to talk to you, man. Hope you're doing well. If it was yesterday, I would have been here for two hours because, wow, internet was down. And so I couldn't nice. get any work done. Nice. Where, so where did the I lack of I communication go here? <laughs> hey, hey, going for it. If you ever just don't have internet and you're just bored, just we shoot, would shoot always, yeah, okay, we would always it. like to have you on. <laughs> yes, it. because there's always things to talk about in the baseball world because oh that gosh. is what Lindsey Crosby does so well with the Locked On MLB uh, prospects and the contributor for Auburn Daily for Auburn Baseball and the uh, Brave Today podcast. And so you do a lot of baseball. It's obviously what you are uh, so knowledgeable in, and that's why we bring you on every single week to talk all things baseball and so we'll start with some Atlanta Braves and talk about MLB where we stand here as we get out of the month of April and get into May then we'll catch up on Auburn baseball and what has been a rather disappointing season for Auburn baseball mm-hmm. also got some pretty bad news for Auburn baseball on the pitching staff today so we'll talk about all that coming up at 2 30 then an hour number two tonight's the NFL draft fellas and we'll be carrying that here on ESPN 106.7 starting at six o'clock for the entire first round coverage here on ESPN 106.7. Carter and I will talk about who we think will go number one overall, who should go number one overall, and what Auburn guys could hear their names called over the next couple of days in the NFL draft. And then we'll talk about the uh, Alabama quarterback commit that has Bama fans up in arms. We'll talk about that coming up in hour number two. But as Carter mentioned, phones are alive and well as far as we know. And so if you'd like to call in and test it out, we'd love to hear from you. 334-321 1390 that number again 334-321-1390 Lindsay let's hop into it man the Braves are still one of the best teams in baseball uh after getting swept by the Astros at home have they picked it up a little bit are they doing okay after that they took out some frustrations against the Miami Marlins uh this series has been there are they are currently in a rain delay on game four of the you know the 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 final game here but Atlanta has just unloaded the offense against Miami. They have, I had it right here, they have scored uh, something like 20 runs in these three games. 
Like they are wow. just they have decided like, you know what, we're getting all of this out. We were tired about getting swept by the by the Astros. We're gonna make up for it here. Including last I think it's night. Twenty four runs. Twenty four, there you go. <laughs> including last night where they're down four nothing and they score the final six runs to win six four. And it's like even when you're facing Sandy Alcantara and it looks like uh you might drop a game, they knock him out of the game and they just go ahead and uh and win another one. And so we are, I think, two innings, maybe three innings into today's game. It is in a rain delay right now, but uh, they are hoping for a sweep here as they get ready to head to New York to face the Mets. Yeah, how I am curious about this because I was looking at the schedule. How rare is it to get back-to-back four-game sets that back up to each other? And, and a four-game set that ends on a Monday. Yeah, that doesn't happen a ton, and I feel like this is one of the byproducts of the balanced schedule, because part of the whole agreement of you're going to play every team in baseball every season is you'll have less games against your division, and so I think when you see a four-game series, they're almost always, not always, but they're almost always divisional divisional opponents. Like, the Braves had one against the Padres, not a divisional opponent, Mm -hmm. but then after that, it's Mets, Braves, things like that, and and it feels like this is taking the place of two three-game sets you would have played under the old schedule. Instead, we'll have you play one four-game set. So, okay. like, the Padres, you would have played them twice in the season because they are in the same uh, the same league as you. Instead of playing them, instead of doing that, you did a four-game set. In this case, you played them twice because you went out there as well. It's just, mm-hmm. the MLB schedule is so weird because there's sometimes you'll get a, you're done with the Padres. You've played them twice in the first month, and then you don't see them again the rest of the year. It right. feels like you should balance it out a little bit and do one here, first half, one second half. Right. But, but you didn't have to play them with Fernando Tatis, so I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. And it's weird because that's where... The Braves, their losses have have sort of come from because the the Padres, the first series, you only got one win out of four, and then you play them in just a week, a couple of weeks after that, and you lose another game there, which was part of a four game skid for the Atlanta Braves. And so you look at their what seventeen and eight record, and half of those losses are thanks to the San Diego Padres. So it's tough for the Braves, but. Like you said, now they're now they're past him and don't have to worry about him for the rest of the is year. It, is yeah. it odd to you that the Braves are seven and six at home and ten and two on the road? It was a lot worse than that before you, before you uh, took three in a row right you, here. <laughs> you took three from Miami, but if you look at who you've played, uh, your your home matchups, other than a sweep against the Reds, who are the Reds, not in last place in the Central right now. I'll point that out. St. Louis Cardinals are make it known. Um, make it known. Wow, but. I didn't even realize that. Other than that, yeah, Cardinals are 9-16 right now. Yeah, yeah um, Pirates are in first place of that, seven, that division. I was going to give the six division leaders later and us talk about who might still be in first place at, you know, at the midway point. Uh, but other than the Reds, you've had the Astros, you've had the Padres, you've had pretty good opponents coming into Truist Park, whereas yeah. when you went on the road, you got to go beat up on Kansas City, you got to beat up on Washington, you got some lesser opponents. And so... I understand it feeling like it's a little bit cursed in Truist Park, especially because the Braves sold out almost every single one of those matchups and then didn't bring their fans home some victories. But they've they've gotten it back to a winning record. Even if they drop the series finale, if it happens today, uh, they'll still not have a losing record at home. And I think it, ultimately they'll have a winning record at home when the season's over. Well, it's good to for the Braves because I mentioned they had that four-game slide where they lost the last game to the Padres and they came home for that series for the Astros and got swept. 
And if they're able to take care of business here in the series finale with Miami, if it ends up playing, then they'll get all four of those games back in a sweep over the Marlins. And so the Braves are, seems like they're they're taking care of business. And yet they're still scoring runs. That's something we've talked about every week we've had you on. Uh, they're still scoring runs at a very high rate. You mentioned what they've been doing in this Miami series, 11, 7, and 6. I mean, those are really high offensive numbers, but that's average for the Braves. You look at it, six runs, seven runs, 11 runs. The losses against the Astros, they scored under five and they lost all three. And I think that really speaks to what this Braves team does so well is hit the baseball. Yeah. And then all, you know, so so this offense has been fantastic. You look at uh, some of the leaderboards and not many Braves are at the very top of leaderboards. Ronald Acuna is up there as far as um as far as I, I believe he leads the league in steals right now, as well as plate appearances. But for the most part, you will find players of the Atlanta Braves in the top 10 for just about everything. Slugging percentage, Sean Murphy, number eight in all of baseball. Uh, on base plus slugging, Murphy's number uh, number seven, Acuna's number eight. Batting average, Ronald Acuna's number three. Like, just the top four of that lineup is uh, one of the best top fours in all of baseball. And that is the real driver of this team. And when you look at the Houston series, I think game three specifically, the top of that lineup got completely shut out. I think they had one like one, uh, one player got on from all of those at-bats. And when you combine that with a couple rare missteps out of the bullpen, you get a sweep like that where Atlanta had leads in two of the three games and just couldn't seal the deal because the bullpen gave up runs and the top of the lineup wasn't producing like we expected them to. So... Uh, you have some reinforcements. Colin McHugh is back. Rysel Iglesias, the closer, goes out tonight for a rehab appearance in AAA Gwinnett. He's probably due back. Given the time he missed, he's probably out week and a half or so, week, week and a half before he's back. But you're getting reinforcements. You already have Freed back. You already have Kyle Wright back. Michael Harris, the center fielder, should be back soon. You've got the guys coming back. And to do what they've done while getting a combined, what, nine games out of Michael Harris and Travis Darno has been pretty impressive. And you've also had Strider, who continues to be, I mean, just a dominant player for the Atlanta Braves on the mound. It seems like he can do no wrong when he gets the ball in his hand to step on the hump for for the Atlanta Braves. I mean, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, guys. Yeah, it's it's amazing to think about this time, was it three years ago? He was at Clemson. And two years ago, he started off in low A and he finished the year in Atlanta, getting two relief appearances. And then last year, uh, obviously, he turns right around and, and jumps into the rotation after the first month and, and leads all of baseball in strikeouts, leads in strikeout rate. Just, I mean, it's strikeouts per nine innings. He's at 14.7. And it's him, Jacob deGrom, 14.5, and then a drop down to like 12 and change for Shohei Otani. Wow. Like that's how far Spencer Strider and Jacob deGrom are from the rest of baseball. That's what? unbelievable. I mean, it is talking about that Braves pitching staff. A guy like Bryce Elder, who's been so good until last night, he has an off night. How big is it? Because he gives up the three solo home runs, which you're grateful that they're all solo home runs. How much of a confidence boost can it be for a guy like that when you have a little bit of an off night? The command's not there. You're hanging a breaking ball. You're giving up some home runs to have an offense that can bail you out like that and still keep you from taking the the loss in the game like that. Oh, it's huge. Look at Sandy Alcantara, a guy who can, you know, consistently for years put up a a 2.5 ERA mm-hmm. 
and had a losing record because the offense wasn't producing. And you'd see him stay in longer in games than he needed to and get shelled late because he didn't trust the offense behind him to score runs to 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 give him the win. You know, Jacob DeGrom had the same issue with the Mets for a while mm-hmm. where he had a he had a losing record and he was like a Cy Young finalist. Uh, but, <laughs> but Bryce Elder goes out last night. No decision officially uh, does. He gives up three solo shots. I want to say it was uh, the second, the third, and the fourth. And that's that one in the second off uh, Jesus Sanchez was destroyed. That yes. ball went above the chop house. One of the longest home runs I've seen in, in Truist Park. Well, but the fourth run... Abisayo Garcia got into his pretty well to left as well. Yeah. But the fourth run was an inherited run that Michael Tonkin walked in. And so he gives up three runs, in essence. He's given up six earned runs in his first five starts of the year. Like, that's strong. It's something where it, it, it reminds me a lot, and I wrote this in takeaways on Bravestoday.com last night, it reminds me a lot of what Kyle Wright did last year, where you see him appear in two or three different seasons, and he's fine, but it never really clicks, and then something in the offseason clicks, and now this guy is a, a, a monster. Like That's what Bryce Elder reminds me of. The stuff isn't overwhelming. Yeah. But he's but he's just a solidly above average pitcher, and he's got a great offense behind him. And they were talking about that on the broadcast yeah. last night when he, uh, I think it was when he hung the breaking ball to Garcia, and it just got absolutely mashed to left up into the second deck. Uh, but he doesn't have crazy overpowering stuff, so he can't get away with egregious mistakes in the zone. Uh, he's done a good job to this point in the year to not really having that, but I do think that I mean he's he's somebody that the fact you see it starting to click, uh, and he was called upon because of I guess injuries mm-hmm. and and necessity early in the year. It's huge to find a guy like that, kind of like you see what's what's going on with uh, S- Sam Hilliard, who has been great, who really ever since I mean his rookie year, he was a really good hitter. And then was below average for the next three years. And right now, uh, I don't know if it's changed since I looked at it last, but so far this year, his OPS plus, which takes into account ballparks and 100 is average, he's 164. He's having a heck of a start to this year. Yeah, and it's it's something where the Braves seem to do this, right? They, they find guys, whether it's pitchers, whether it's position players, they find guys that have certain traits, but for some reason have underperformed. And they're able to go out and make adjustments. With Sam Hilliard, one of the things that they worked on, and I think Chipper talked about this on the broadcast a couple days ago, but they noticed that he was a little bit too hunched over at the plate. They got him more upright. They got him more rotational in the swing to use the power. I mean, he's a people don't realize this because you don't you see him on TV. Sam Hilliard playing center field is 6'5, 240 pounds. Hey-o. He is a, and he's one of the faster players on the team. He is a ridiculous athlete. And so the Atlanta Braves saw in the offseason, he struggled in Colorado. He had a batting average of like 180 last year. Mm. And they said, you know, there's some mechanical things that we can fix that can unlock his potential. He used to be a top prospect. I mean, he, mm. was, a, he was a top 25 prospect in baseball before he debuted with Colorado. And he just kept they he kept getting advice from multiple people on things to fix, and it was it just it got in his head too much, and he just forgot to be an athlete and go out and hit the ball. And the Braves worked with them to kind of unlock that. See, the Braves seem to be so good at that that yes. idea of getting somebody who they see something in him. He may not be performing to the level that they believe, but there's something that 
a little tweak here, a little tweak there, and it just pans out for the Braves. You you saw it last year. I'm drawing a blank with the the outfielder they traded for um, the lefty who was hitting like 180 or 190 where he was, and then came to the Braves and was a pretty good little pinch hit power bat. Um, I'm drawing a blank. What did, well, that's uh, Robbie Grossman, wasn't it? Grossman mm-hmm. from the okay. Tigers. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what makes baseball, in my opinion, just so, close. But that's what makes baseball, in my opinion, so different from any other sport because when there's somebody like that is struggling that's what makes baseball so interesting because a team like the Braves or other teams around the league they see that guy and they're like oh okay he's playing terrible for that team he has almost no stock and worth nothing to that team but we can bring him here and we'll just stand him up at the plate a little bit more because he's hunched over and it's something that little and you steal a guy off a roster and make him a really good player an all-star at times I mean that is what makes baseball so much different from any other sport in the world yeah and it's it's I think the reason for that is baseball like yes you have to have the bat speed yes you have to have the hand-eye coordination but baseball more so than a lot of other sports is so mental Oh, yes. It's so because you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you're and it's so individualistic, too. Well, yes. it's, it's mental warfare between the pitcher and the hitter. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, a, a standard season for a hitter is 600 at bats. Yeah. And uh, it's just it's so much of doing the same thing and failing so much that the mental resiliency required to make. Uh, to make it happen in baseball is is needed so much more uh, than any other sport, mm-hmm. and and so teams can go and find a guy that has some mechanical issues, but the underlying cause is he's trying to do too much. Yeah, and they can say, hey, we can simplify this approach for him, and we can make things easier on him. You don't see, you don't really, really don't see the equivalent kind of thing in say football, mm-hmm. where you go out and you trade for a wide receiver, and it's oh well, he's having to run too many routes. We're going to simplify and give him three routes to run. <laughs> I mean, you don't you don't really see things right. like that, or or you know, a linebacker. Hey, he's having to cover and sure? the I mean, pass. I watched, gonna... I watched Gus Malzahn's offense for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> True, we give you three. Three routes. You're either staying in, you're either turning around and catching the ball, you're running deep, or you're um, doing a curl. That's it. So I mean, yeah, that's but it. bringing it back to baseball, is, yeah. that's why when people just say, oh, baseball is so boring, I'm like, to me, that's because you don't get the mental side of what's taking place every single pitch. There's yeah. so much thinking, there's so much mental warfare that goes on. I mean, if you understood it, you'd be so much more bought in. Which is what makes it so interesting when you learn new things about baseball and learn just how much truly goes into each individual player, game, and season. We're talking all things baseball with Lindsey Crosby joining us in the studio for our number one. He hosts the Locked on MLB Prospects podcast and contributes to Auburn Daily and Bravestoday.com. We'll talk more about the Braves and how the MLB is now the No Fun League, even more banning a celebration that the Braves were doing. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. 
Back inside the studio at ESPN 106.7 for the Thursday edition of On the Line. We have Lindsey Crosby in the studio talking all things baseball. We'll get to Auburn baseball coming up at 2.30, so just a few minutes. But, Lindsey, the uh, MLB trying to rival the NFL, the No Fun League, and ban the Braves today as the Braves received a phone call from the head office saying the Braves are not allowed to celebrate home runs with the big hat celebration anymore. And if you have not seen what that is... It's exactly what I said it was. The Braves have been celebrating home runs with the giant Braves ball cap. And if you look it up on, on online, it's really, really funny. And they've been putting it on. It's literally just a Braves hat that's about 10 times the size of a normal hat. And they put it on in the dugout when they're high-fiving and everything. But the MLB said, no, nah, you're having too much fun. Can't have that because New Era, the hat brand that the players wear, they were the ones that complained about it. Do I have that right? Yes, you have that right. And it's it's funny for a couple of reasons. One is this was kind of organic, but at the same time, the guy who runs the company that makes the big hats, he's the one that planned this. He was in uh, he was in the battery when the Braves were walking to the home opener. They always walk through the battery like we have Tiger Walk. They do something similar to that. He tossed it to one of the players, and they decided to start using it. He didn't ask them to do it, but they decided to start using it. So he was getting promotion for his company, which is fine. Genius marketing. Yes, very, very smart of that guy. But uh, yeah, New Era got mad about it. I said, you know what? Just make a big hat, New Era. Or just ask the Braves to slap a New Era logo on the hat. Put a sticker on it. Put a New Era sticker on the side of the hat. So that's why they're mad is because it's not a New Era branded hat. Correct. It is a because it is technically headwear and they have the contract to provide headwear to the NF- to the MLB which makes me ask i believe it is uh, i believe it is is the angels who have a samurai helmet is that made by new era are they coming for the samurai helmet next no because the angels aren't having as much fun as the Braves are ah that's probably true well <laughs> i mean it's it, it it would be fun for me to have Shohei Otani on my team uh, yes. th- th- that'd be very exciting and your team may have a chance to do that Trout? next year <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah they also the, the the best guy this generation yeah that guy too but Shohei Otani's the fun one the, the best um, two of this yeah. of this g- generation on the same team and yet they still they suck. played like Mike Trout's played four postseason baseball games and they got swept that one time. And that was like his first or second year in the league. Yes, it was awesome. Yeah. Um it it's it's I understand why New Era had to do something. I wish they had just like I think it would have been a much smarter move of New Era to say, hey, slap our sticker on the on that, and if the guy gets mad, he can sue us about it. Versus it being announced that New Era was shutting down the Big Hat celebration. And it's really funny because we've actually written it up a few times uh, at Bravestoday.com about the Big Hat celebration. And there's a company out there called FOCO uh, that is doing bobbleheads of the Big Hat celebration. Nice. And so they took them on a pre-order basis and they're now manufacturing them to be shipped out in like a month or two. And... By the time people actually get them, the Braves won't have worn the big hats for a couple months. How wow. lame, man. And, see, mean, and we wonder why baseball struggles to grow fans, right? It, it reminds me of, and I know that he's um, not a good person by any stretch of the imagination, but when Trevor Bauer wore that, he wore his personal logo and he was getting a bunch of heat for that. And yeah. He just had the paper thing that says personal logo like this like please don't find me or whatever on on his shirt like it's kind of that that type feel to it with with major league baseball major league baseball i feel like is just 
the most restrictive and difficult to deal with when it comes to basically anything. The only thing that I can think of that Major League Baseball has done right as far as growing the game and trying to get more people into the game of baseball uh, is the pitch clock. I think it's the okay. only thing yeah. that they've gotten right to this like to this point under under Rob Manfred. Uh, and and the pitch clock, to give you an update, because we've done this from time to time before, mm-hmm. uh, this point in the season this year versus this point in the season last year, nine inning games under two hours and 30 minutes. Last year, you had 11. This year, you already have 109. Holy smokes. And here's the one that's even better for me as a guy who usually writes things after baseball games. Nine inning games that have been three and a half hours or longer this point in time last year, you had 39. This year, one. Wow. Wow. That's the big thing. Wow. They're, and they even, like, when you watch the broadcast now, you it, 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 this is anecdotal, but it feels like you see a lot more kids at weekday games because you know you can watch a game and get them home in time to go to school tomorrow. Right. You can go to the 6 o'clock start and you can be home. It's going to be like 10 o'clock or so, 9.30, 10 o'clock, but that's better than midnight. Yeah. Like it, And it's something where people who are going are staying for the entire game versus leaving early. That's a big one, too. And families are actually taking the whole family versus just maybe the parents or just the dad. I mean, Alcantara pitched an hour and 57-minute game against the Twins earlier this year. Love that. Pretty impressive. Seems like the pitch clock is working and doing what they wanted it to do. Lindsey Crosby joining us in the studio here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. We'll talk Auburn baseball when we come back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. See ya. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He's Carter Bird. We're joined by Lindsey Crosby in the studio. We've been talking Braves and uh, Major League Baseball as the Braves trying to bounce back from the sweep from the Astros and trying to sweep the Marlins if they ever get this game in today. Still in a weather delay, <laughs> according to the TV. So we'll see if they get that game in today. If they don't get that game in today, technically it's still a sweep because they've already won three. True. That <laughs> so, is. There you go. There you go. No, that is and the very Marlins true. have one more visit back to Atlanta, and so they okay. could make this up later in the year. Okay, cool. Excellent. Well, before we get to Auburn baseball really quick, to look at the upcoming schedule for the Braves, they're going on the road to New York, a four-game series against the Mets, who may be figuring it out, but still I don't think they have to this point. Then they go on the road to this Miami team, and then they play Baltimore and Boston. So those are the series coming up. Expectations in your mind for what the Braves should be able to do over the next couple of weeks before we get to Auburn baseball. Uh, Braves, I'm sorry, uh, Mets, that's going to be a dogfight simply because the Mets have been building up to this. They've been trying to get Verlander back in time for this. They've adjusted Scherzer's schedule so that he throws in that game. Part of the reason he dropped the the appeal of the, of the suspension was so that he would be back in time to pitch in this game and so like I don't care what he says that's the reason why the the conversation that night was if he you know if the suspension starts today he's back in time for the last game of the series if he appeals it he misses the series speaking of his suspension I think it was David Cohn on Sunday Night Baseball that did a demo with this was, this was fantastic alcohol and all of that Explain to me how Major League Baseball hasn't realized that their own protocols for 
cleaning off too much rosin or a hand that's too sticky with alcohol makes it worse and they just i guess didn't know that because he did the demo and he did just rosin and it was a little tacky on the ball and then he wiped his hand down with alcohol and then he went to rosin again and it was was almost like spider tack like the ball stuck to his fingers as he had he had the ball hanging from his two uh his his fingers that would be on on the ball for a fastball and they just it just was sticking to it uh in in my experience talking to people around baseball uh, the major, the big league office will have ideas, and then they will send the directives down, and the people down below are kind of figuring out it out as they go. So I guarantee you, somebody down the line was told they have if the, if their umpires have an issue, they have to clean their hands. It's like, oh well, what gets stuff off of hands? Alcohol will do it. Alcohol will get their hands clean, <laughs> and nobody actually thought to check this. That's like. When it's Major League Baseball, just assume incompetence on something like this. It's the same thing when you see like a really bad umpiring performance and people are like, the game is rigged. No, the umpire is just bad. <laughs> when in doubt, assume incompetence on the part of the Major League Baseball front office. Yes, that especially with who's in there right now. There's no doubt about it. But uh, let's get to, so, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was really, really interesting that they mm-hmm. did on Sunday Night Baseball. Was that last weekend or two weeks ago? I think it was this sunday was it this past sunday yeah okay interesting well i saw it and it was it was intriguing and it just goes to the fact that this is still an ongoing battle with pitchers and, and the umpires and using using different things to try to get the advantage uh for the pitchers on the mound but let's transition into auburn baseball may not be a uh, more exciting topic because of results but auburn uh coming off of the very exciting series win over mississippi state this past weekend at plainsman park what do they do they backed it up with a midweek loss to Troy, eight to seven at home on Tuesday night. Lindsay, what's going on, man? What, what's happening with all? We know the injuries on the pitching staff have mm-hmm. been the storyline all season long, but you still scored seven runs, but you gave up eight. Yeah, and and when you watch the way that it happened, it was like one. It was kind of frustrating. You saw it coming. It was it was the the freshman. The freshman are the ones that had the issue. Uh, Hayden Murphy gets his first start of his career, uh, gives up a run in the first. You're like, okay, he's going to be fine. He gives up two two two-run shots in the second. Drew Nelson comes in in the sixth for Parker Carlson. Two runners on, one out. Uh, He ends up giving up three runs, including a bases-loaded bulk. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah. That's rough. And yeah, that so one always hurts. <laughs> it's something where and like we keep talking about the injuries, but you're in a situation where when you lose guys both in the bullpen and in the the, the rotation, everybody else has to move up a slot. And so these are guys who would not be like Hayden Murphy would not be starting the midweek game you needed to win. Uh, Drew Nelson would not be the second man out of the bullpen in a game you needed to win, in a close game in a midweek, even in a midweek. He'd be getting time in blowouts. He'd be getting time uh, starting the easier opponents in midweeks. Troy was one of the tougher midweek opponents that you played outside of Georgia Tech. I mean, their RPI, I want to say, I had this in the piece, going into the game on Tuesday, their RPI was 29th. Hmm. And so, and Troy traditionally throws everything they have at Auburn. I mean, they just absolutely... Uh, empty the the bag on Auburn because it's one of those things where they're going into the SEC town. They want to beat the SEC team, and I I think they had some sort of tweet alluding to that after they won the game on Tuesday. 
Uh, I mean, it's a big game for them. We talked about that with with a Troy or a UNA or UAB or whoever it may be, well, yeah, and, and I mean, that's UAB wants to beat Auburn every time because of yeah. who the head coach is. Yeah, I mean, it was the same way at Sanford because yeah, Sanford too. I think Casey Dunn, and I think he has v- very good reason to feel this way. He's every bit qualified to be the Auburn head coach, and I think he feels like he's been passed over a few times. So I mm-hmm. think that one means a little bit more. I mean, that's just the way it is with these in-state midweek games yeah players feel the same way they feel like you know i was good enough to play at auburn or at alabama and instead yep. they didn't give me an offer and i had to go to troy or i had to go to uab or i had to go to sanford mm-hmm. think about sanford or last year when you have sonny Deshera and and brooks carlson on the team that were on that sanford team i think there's there was extra motivation there i don't no think doubt. uh i don't think tony david was all too thrilled uh to have his two of his best hitters essentially have Sanford be used like a farm team for Auburn and, yeah and DeShera become an all-american I mm-hmm. mean that that was that, that was, was huge Bruce Carlson was about the most underrated hitter on the team oh yeah in my oh mind. he was solid well I was looking through the schedule and Lindsay correct me if I'm wrong last year for Auburn baseball in SEC play didn't they have like only one midweek loss or something like that? Like their midweek performance last year was pretty solid, if I remember correctly. I want to say they won, lost, uh, they they lost one midweek. I think right. you're right. And, and this you're year, up they've to already three. Lost, yeah, you've lost three now because you lost Georgia Tech. You lost the rematch against UAB, and I think it was UAB or North Alabama, one of those two. It was UAB, I think. UAB, and then you lost Troy. Right. And so you have that combined with the fact of you like like you're in a tough spot now for this weekend. Because we talked on the show before, and this is from people in the program, like their belief is they need 14 conference wins to make the postseason. And the, 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 the comparison here was given to Georgia last year, how Georgia got, four, got to 14 wins, got their three seed in the postseason. And so not sweeping Mississippi State means that you have to pick up seven wins still. And if you sweep Old Miss and if you sweep Missouri – who are projected to be the last two teams in the, the SEC, one you know, one from each division, so you're fine, you still have to pick up a game either on the road this weekend at South Carolina, who is a top-five team, or when number one LSU comes into town with two guys who will be in the top-five picks of the draft. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Auburn has a Auburn has a great chance to rebound from this Troy loss with the number two team in the country on the road, and then the following weekend, the number one team in the country at home. I mean, if you're Auburn, you just got to scratch your head at this point because obviously South Carolina is a solid program. Nobody expected them to be the number two team in the country. LSU is supposed to be good, and you just got to kind of swallow your pride on that one. But yeah, you're right. Auburn sits at 7-11 and in conference play, and if the mindset is 14 wins, you're talking about having to sweep Ole Miss in Missouri, which Mm -hmm. sweeps are not easy to get in conference play. Auburn had a chance to do it this past weekend and couldn't get it done. And now you're talking about having to pick up wins against South Carolina and LSU, where they very easily could sweep you if you're Auburn. Yeah, Auburn doesn't have a conference win. Uh, sorry, a conference sweep this year. I believe the only sweep they have is Lipscomb, and like outside of that, they have not swept any series this year. And so now you're telling them, hey, you have to sweep two of those, and then you have to knock off a top three team if you want to make the postseason. And we're not saying you can't make it with 13 wins. I think when I saw the yeah. math the other day, it's like, uh, it's, it's like, it's like 28 or 30% yeah. chance of making the postseason at 13 wins. And then if you get to 14, it goes to over 50%. It's like 65%. So How that's why the cutoff for them is 14. You do have the option to win 13 and go to the SEC tournament. 
and make some noise. But the way that that's formatted, you're going to be one of the first four teams in. So you're going to play on Tuesday. And then you're going to play every single day until you're eliminated. And for a team that is hurting on starting pitching depth and is hurting for bullpen depth, yeah. that's not a recipe for success <laughs> unless you can go out and you can just mash. Yeah, if you can score 15 runs a game. Because it's it's so funny to me that like Sunday against State... Auburn's having to score 12 runs to barely scrape out a win. And it feels like that has to, like, that's why they can't win on Sundays. It's been the story. There's no pitching left, and they've Mm -hmm. got to score 12, 15 runs to win games. And um, how much much more difficult would it be for this Auburn team with 13 SEC wins to make the tournament, given the midweek losses and things like that? So if you were going to lose a midweek, Troy was the one to lose because their RPI is good, but you Troy did lose at home. Tech and Troy, yeah, Troy, you lost to Tech on the road, mm-hmm. which isn't as bad. Uh, you lost, I want to say you lost to UAB on the road. UAB on the road, mm-hmm. so again, not as not weighted as heavily in RPI as a home loss would be. And then you dropped the home one to Troy, which hurts. Uh, picking up a game at South Carolina would be a big deal, not only for RPI because you're on the road but also to get you to that 14 wins. Uh, if you assume you get a game from South Carolina, which is not a given, last time you faced a team of this caliber was Arkansas, and they swept you and held you to five runs in three games, where they scored 21. Brutal. Uh, yeah. Brutal. But, but if you get one from there, you still have to go in. You don't have a midweek next week. Because of finals, right? Because of finals. Graduation is next weekend. Finals are next week, so there is no midweek matchup. And then after that, you're only... Two midweeks is you go to you go to the Hoover Met to play Sanford. That's the why they, is that there this this time? They do that so they they always try to schedule a late season game in the Hoover Met versus Sanford, so they are familiar with the ballpark and the angles and everything before okay. going for the the SEC tournament. This is it's a, like this it's is a pretty like, smart strategy actually. This is like two years ago when Bruce Pearl took the basketball team with Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. Yep. To South Florida and played in the Lightning Arena, which is where the the SEC tournament was, I guess. And yeah. we saw how well that worked out. It is harder <laughs> to shoot in those larger arenas. Like mm-hmm. the we, the stats have shown that shooting goes down in those situations. Uh, well, it is harder to Katie hit Johnson and to, proved that true. Yes, it is harder sometimes to to uh, know the correct angles to field things like that in those larger ballparks, like the Hoover Met is. So they want to give them a chance to 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 see it in person play in there pitchers to throw in there catchers to catch a carom off the wall back behind them before they go there for the postseason tournament. it's actually a pretty smart plan no it is it's very very smart that auburn will be doing that they lost they lost the game last night to or on tuesday excuse me to troy and they've got a very hot date with number two south carolina on the road this weekend before coming home and taking on number one lsu i don't know if any team in the country will play number two and number one in back-to-back weekends i just don't think that's going to happen i don't believe that has happened this season and i don't think it's going to on the schedule no No, i just that's just even top five i mean playing two top five teams back to back is 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 tough there's probably somebody in the sec who's done that i'd imagine or if not it's probably a team who ended up being top five when five of the top seven in the d1 baseball poll or sec teams somebody has to have done it yeah exactly like i haven't looked at that i'm sure somebody's done it but number one and number two back to back come on can you explain to me why coastal carolina is ranked sixth with 12 losses uh i believe coastal carolina's rpi is very good and so, like, they've lost the games, but they've lost games to teams that, like, they probably shouldn't have uh, won anyway. 
and they've been close. Let me see. Yeah, their their RPI is number six. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, but they have the fifth like, hardest strength of schedule in the country. It's the fact that they're not one of these major schools, and they have they're tied for the most losses in the top thirteen, and they're ranked sixth. Yeah. The RPI is that strong. They're they're a Sunbelt team, but they have played 11 Quadrant 1 games this year. Wow. Yeah, they've played like 11 Quadrant 1, 11 Quadrant 2. Are they going to run it back and win the National Championship for the second time? (laughs) It would be. It was. That was a fun one. And uh, it does look like. Submarine pitcher pitched 250 pitches in the College World Series. It does look like there's going to be a lot of hosting sites in the Carolinas this year. I mean, between them, between Wake, like there's going to be there's going to be probably three hosting sites in the same state, which wow. may not have happened outside of maybe one year where I, I Texas uh, or Florida or Texas did that. Yeah. yeah, I mean Texas will do that, but like <laughs> outside of a Texas or a Florida, I can't imagine anywhere else where that would happen mm. recently. I mean, you're not that far off from potentially getting Duke in that conversation. Duke, ECU, uh, Wake, and Coastal, and uh, South Carolina, all in that. I mean. You're talking about the Carolinas having half the regionals. That'd be something else right there. That'd be something else. We got to get to our final break here at hour number one. Lindsey Crosby, host of the Locked on MLB Prospects podcast and contributor for Auburn Daily and Bravetoday.com, will wrap up the hour with us. We'll talk about the major injury news that uh, an Auburn pitcher was pushed back on, and uh, it's unfortunate news for Auburn trying to get healthy in the pitching room. We'll talk about that as we wrap up hour number one when we come back. Are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334 321 1390 or toll free at 888 382 Wrapping up the first hour here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. I'm Jacob Goetz. He's Carter Bird. We're joined by Lindsey Crosby in studio for the next couple of minutes. Lindsey, before we talk to you about the uh, unfortunate news for Auburn baseball's pitching staff today. Plug everything you got going on. We appreciate you and your time every single week, man. We enjoy, uh, we just enjoy the heck out of this talking baseball with you every single week. And so, plug everything you got going on so our listeners can keep up with you. The hub of everything is Twitter um, at Crosby Baseball. But from there, you can find the. We'll start at the lowest level and go up. You can find college baseball writing AuburnDaily.com. You can find minor league baseball and the host of Locked and It'll Be Prospects, available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, and the Major League baseball writing focusing on the braves at bravestoday.com you guys do a fantastic job you do a good job on all your individual stuff and and auburn daily with with everybody over there doing a fantastic job and then of course ben taylor who is the uh, host of auburn opelika this morning on news talk w a and i 98 7 sister station here for espn 1067 you guys do a fantastic job we use y'all's audio quite a bit just so you know we uh we yeah. we plug your guys audio pretty well because you guys are recapping pretty much you guys what you do a series you do a show Per series, basically, is kind of what it's like right now. Yeah. So, like tonight, Braves play today. We'll we will record tonight to recap the Marlins series and preview the Mets series. Cover whatever topics come up in the middle. Usually, we complain about Marcelo Zuna in there somewhere, <laughs> uh, but we'll record hey, for for every series. He got a hit. He got a hit. I, I asked if the second one would uh, be classified as a, a an infield error or a fielder's choice and not actually give him credit for a hit. Wouldn't that be hilarious? And they did. They did. It was one hit and then one was a fielder's choice. That's fantastic. So Raise the go. banner. Marcelo Zuna got a hit. Lindsay, we got you for a couple of more minutes. Uh, Auburn baseball and Auburn baseball fans got some uh, unfortunate news today about Gonzo, uh, the... Just the superstar pitcher that Auburn has been waiting on, trying to get him back in on the field, trying to get him back on the mound, 
and it's just not going to happen. He's out for the year. Yeah, and and so to back up on this, he had a shoulder injury uh, starting starting spring, and they were kind of shut him down for a little while. Uh, he worked his way back, got four innings opening weekend against Indiana, and they thought that. Uh, like they were thinking he'll go two innings. He went four because he felt really good. The pitch count was low. They were fine. Had a little more recurrence of that shoulder issue. So they shut him down again, gave him a couple weeks, let him start throwing. He did the first bullpen. He was fine. Second bullpen. He had some issues. They shut him down again. Uh, started over again with the, with the throwing. Uh, had his first bullpen last week. It went well. Had another bullpen. I think it was either Tuesday or Wednesday. And shoulder pain came back. And so rather than him throwing this weekend, they said we are shutting him down for the rest of the regular season. Uh, He's going to go see Dr. James Andrews. They don't think this is structural. They don't think this is an actual, uh, some sort of structural issue with the shoulder that would require surgery. Which is good. Which is great. This is some sort of of soreness and inflammation and pain that is somewhere in the shoulder and they can't find it. It's like the back of the shoulder, the scapula things like that but he's been the big missing piece from your rotation because rather than having to than having say him and Tommy Vale be your your 1A and your number two and cover most of your innings because he had games he had a stretch of four quality starts last year where he he threw I want to say a combined almost 30 innings in those starts I mean he had a complete a complete game shutout against Vandy Uh, rather than Having him, you've had to plug in multiple guys trying to fill out your rotation, and that's where you've seen the struggles with the pitching staff all year. It's all come back to Gonzo, uh, and he's out. I've I've been asked questions on on Twitter again at Crosby Baseball about is he going to come back to Auburn? Can he redshirt? Things like that. He is draft eligible. Uh, I I I personally I have him just outside the top 100. A lot of the the prospect apparatus that I talk to interact with they all have him you know 115 125 things like that Uh, I think if he fell he still probably wouldn't fall anywhere past about the seventh round or so obviously baseball drafting is a little bit weird because of the money and stuff like that Uh, but I do think we've probably seen him pitch a game in Auburn for the last time dang that's unfortunate I was going to ask you your prediction but there it is Lindsey Crosby he has all types of baseball stuff going on follow him on Twitter and go find all of his fantastic work Lindsey as always man we appreciate you stopping by thanks for having me Lindsey Crosby host of the Locked On MLB Prospects podcast joining us in hour number one Carter and I will talk about some quarterback news in the SEC coming up in hour number two an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika sports leader. 
Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as our number two is underway here on ESPN 106.7. This is the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds. Not the back. I'm Jacob Goins. He's Carter Byrne. If you missed any of our number one, uh, we had Lindsey Crosby in here as we have, seems like just about every Thursday throughout baseball season, we've had Lindsey come yeah, in and, and sit in on the show. It's been, so It's been awesome having him on and he has so much knowledge about his brain uh, his level. baseball brain is just and, and auburn and yeah even yeah i mean I've, I've listened to him on locked on auburn he's he's still pretty plugged into auburn football and yeah. basketball as well. yeah no doubt well he's a, a huge contributor to auburn daily host of the uh locked on mlb prospects podcast contributor to auburn daily and contributor to uh the braves today.com and, and the brave today podcast as well so if you missed any of our one uh lindsey crosby joined us in studio talking about the braves talking about major league baseball talking about auburn baseball uh the unfortunate injury news they got today in so if you missed any of that, go and catch up with the podcast right after the show today. You'll find it commercial-free wherever you get your podcast. Just search on the line, or you can go to ESPNAU.com, click on the Podcast Center, and you can find it all right there. But coming up here at hour number two, want to talk about the big news for some wouldn't say it's big news. Some would say it is, but some would say it's not. We'll talk about the news coming out of Tuscaloosa today about the uh, potential starting quarterback for Alabama football that transferred in today. We'll talk about that because I will be starting quarterback. Yeah, because mind. man, is that fan base split from what I've heard and seen so far today. We'll talk about that coming up. Also, guess what's tonight? The NFL Draft, the 2023 NFL Draft. We'll talk about that a little bit and talk about who we think will go number one overall, who has the best chance to be uh, the best player throughout this draft in their NFL careers and what Auburn guys could hear when their names drawn and, and called tonight and throughout the rest of the NFL draft and by the way you can hear the entire NFL draft all three days full of coverage right here on ESPN 1067 starting tonight with the round one coverage that will start at 6 p.m. then tomorrow you can uh, you can tune in at 5 p.m. The second hour of the drive tomorrow will be bumped. Uh, we're gonna have we want to we were doing that to uh, to make sure we can carry the entire NFL draft coverage. So starting tonight at six o'clock with round one, you'll hear the number one overall pick be called right here on ESPN 106.7. Then tune in tomorrow at five o'clock for day two, and then on Saturday is I think it's at 11 a.m. Right, Jenny? I think 11 a.m. for Saturday, and so that'll be the entire 2023 NFL draft coverage right here on ESPN 1067 and uh, I'm actually starting to get excited for it because I have talked myself 100% into my Colts taking Anthony Richardson are you excited about that yes the more I have read and and watched film and stuff I listen to people whose opinions I I uh, respect I think Anthony Richardson and C.J. Stroud are going to be the best two quarterbacks in this draft. I'm, I'm glad that close. I'm glad you added C.J. Stroud because that's my Stroud, that's Stroud my pick. So accurate. Stroud, I, I mean, if Stroud gets to four, absolutely, I, I would take him in a heartbeat. But There's no if shot he falls that there, far. I think there is because I mean, people were trying to build that. Somebody was trying to, to torpedo it and have him fall, which makes me think, think the Colts are doing it. Which is fair. Well, you saw the Reddit post that went viral about Will Levis, and then his his betting odds skyrocketed. And yes. 
And then he was like, yeah, no comments. So I don't think Will Levis is going number one overall. I think we can all, I think it's pretty clear cut and dry about who it will be. We'll talk about that coming up. I will say the fact that his betting odds are moving so much, mm-hmm. Vegas always knows something. They do. Vegas knows what's up. The, I always say the buildings are nice in Vegas for a reason, and it's because they know what's going on, and they've been doing that for a while. So we'll talk about the NFL draft coming up in just a little bit. That'll be uh, surrounded with our question of the day. But hey, phone lines are open here an hour number two three three four three two one thirteen ninety also coming up at three thirty very busy show today coming up at three thirty it's thursday so chris gordy host of the locked on sec podcast he'll join us coming up at three thirty we'll talk to him about the nfl draft coming up tonight uh talk about this quarterback transfer news in the sec across the state and uh notes coming out of spring practice transfer portal all that good stuff and uh chris has become one of the one of the uh more popular guest on our show who has been stirring up some news and stirring up some emotions here in Auburn with some of his comments. And so you definitely want to be sure you're tuned in at 3.30 when Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, will join us right here on On the Line. But until then, again, phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. You can also tweet at us at ESPN1067 on Twitter, and we'll respond to you and answer questions there as well. But, Carter, let's get into it because the news today in the state of Alabama and around the conference of sec football alabama may have just gotten their quarterback for 2023 the notre dame transfer tyler buckner who entered the transfer portal just a few days ago has committed to the university of alabama and nick saban now we know uh, there were some interest from alabama there was some interest from auburn as well and a couple of other schools but with the connections that tyler buckner had with coaches and other things at alabama yes it was pretty well known that Alabama was going to be the favorite, and Alabama sent him an offer, and he has committed as of today. Tyler Buckner, the Notre Dame quarterback transfer to Alabama. Now, what makes this so interesting is in the four or five hours that this has been a thing, I've seen Alabama fans that have been really happy about it, and they're backing Nick Saban, and they're they're going to ride this thing out, and they have confidence And I've seen other Alabama fans who are raising all sorts of you-know-what because they're worried about the quarterback room and the foundations, like we always talk about, possibly forming cracks in what Nick Saban has built at Alabama. And this has gone insane. I mean, people are – Alabama fans and Alabama media are all over this thing. And Doug Amos, who hosts the Max Roundtable, the show that's on before us – yeah, he had some things to say this morning and, and this afternoon. His show, The Max Roundtable, from 11 to 2. Uh, he had some very, very loud things to say, and, and a lot of his callers did as well. And it just goes to show, man, I just don't know if Alabama fans are going to be happy with this guy because we just don't know a whole lot about Tyler Buckner. And the little bit that we do know, the numbers aren't great. To me, what this says is... Holy cow, this Alabama coaching staff does not believe in Ty Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow. They're not the answer, and they are desperate to go get somebody. And they kind of played the portal for a quarterback the way Auburn did, where like they were always kind of stringing along. or They they felt fine going into spring with their guys, but they were stringing along waiting for a big name to hit the portal. 
And then it just never really panned out for them. And I think that now they're in a spot where it's like, oh, no, like we got to figure something out now. And that's what they did. And they went and picked up again the Notre Dame quarterback transfer, Tyler Buckner, who wasn't in the portal very long. I mean, he injured his name, what, the beginning of this week? And he's already committed to Alabama, made a post today on his social media. And, and again, it seems like... There's a portion of Alabama fans that are excited. They think he can be it. They are excited, and they trust Nick Saban, which is a very good boat to be in. I mean, trusting Nick Saban and his decisions and his his instinct, that's a pretty good place to be because he's done it pretty well and done a pretty good job so far in Alabama. But this one just doesn't it feel – Yeah, it, exactly. It feels different. This is not a home run transfer portal hit, in my opinion, for Alabama. It's just not. I don't think the world is not on fire and losing their minds because Alabama picked up Tyler Buckner out of the transfer portal. We're talking about it, but that's because Alabama fans are all over the place, and as they should be, because think about it this way. A lot of our listeners, obviously, are Auburn fans here in Auburn, Opelika, but if Auburn would have gone to get and, and gotten Tyler Buckner out of the transfer portal... How would Auburn fans feel? And I think that's a, a, an important question. And if you have an answer to that, our listeners, we'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. How would Auburn fans feel if Auburn had signed Tyler Buckner, given Auburn's I mean, questionable I quarterback role? I think he's better than the three. I, think, I don't think his ceiling is... I think a fully evolved, maxed out version of Robbie Ashford, the ceiling is much higher. But I think right now he's probably the best of he would be the best of the three guys currently on the roster I think that's fair but at the same time if Auburn were to have gotten a guy again let's say Auburn picked up Tyler Buckner today out of the transfer portal just for for conversation's sake we would talk about it and we'd be excited because it's a new face it's a new name it's competition and as you said he would probably be the best quarterback when he walked in the room but you're not going to look at Tyler Buckner and put him on Auburn's roster and say he could take Auburn to Atlanta. He could take Auburn to the college football playoff. He could win Auburn 10 games, right? You're not thinking well, about that I mean, with Tyler I, Buckner. That's just not going to happen in, in 2023. Well, I know, but I'm saying... Unless you go get a just difference maker with some receivers well, to come with him. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is... Auburn and I don't think Auburn fans would just be head over heels and jumping up and down if they had picked up Tyler Buckner and I think that's where Alabama fans a lot of them are a lot of them are in the boat of this is the best we could do right Tyler Buckner's the best we could do because if you look at the stats they're not great and he also didn't play a lot because he got hurt I think he played the first two games of the year last year and then came back in the bowl game His touchdown-to-interception ratio is not pretty, and his completion percentage is fine, but he didn't play a whole lot. And so, you're right, though. Alabama going and getting him tells me, it tells us, and should tell everybody, there's no confidence in that quarterback room. And I think that's why you're going to see Auburn go get a quarterback, because there's no confidence in Auburn's quarterback room. But Tyler Buckner's just not one of those guys and one of those names that has set the world on fire today that Alabama got him. Yeah, and and I'm going to compile a list here, and I want us to go through the conference and talk this out and figure out what the hierarchy is of where Tyler Buckner would slot in. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to 
It's going to take me a second because I got to recall who some of these guys are that start at some of these random schools. Are you going through the starting SEC quarterbacks or potential starting SEC quarterbacks? Yes. Okay. Okay. And 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 I'm excited about this because I think that this is going to uh, illustrate a very interesting picture mm-hmm. about um, where the SEC is. Yeah. 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 I think it's going to be fascinating. Well, I asked the question to Auburn fans and our Auburn listeners, how would you feel if Auburn had picked up Tyler Buckner in the transfer portal given his status and his stats in Auburn's quarterback room? But this is a different way to word this question, but how do Auburn fans feel the fact that Alabama picked up Tyler Buckner? Are Auburn fans worried that Alabama got Tyler Buckner? Are they worried that they have their, quote, quarterback of 2023? And and look... There's a good chance he's going to be the starter. There's a good chance because if you're Alabama and you are confident in your quarterback room, you don't go and get him. I believe he's the fourth scholarship quarterback on that Alabama roster right now. I think he might be. I think it might be five. I think he is might it be five? five. I think I, it's I, four or five. And if you are Alabama, they, they had a full quarterback room. Well, then maybe it is. He came in. It's at which least is, which four. all the more reason like. You don't make this move unless you feel he's going to come in and start. Exactly. And so the question to Auburn fans again is, are you worried about Tyler Buckner being the starting quarterback at Alabama? I'm not. As of right now, no. Because I haven't seen enough of him, and the little bit that we have, I wasn't impressed. Yes, he is is the fifth scholarship quarterback on that roster. That's wild. So somebody... Somebody's got to go. Somebody's going to leave. They have to. They have to. You can't have five quarterbacks in your room. I mean, that's just not that's not realistic. And so, but it goes to the point you just said, you don't go get somebody in the portal for the fifth quarterback if you don't want him to be the starter or expect him to be the starter. And so I'm not worried about him at Alabama. I'm not worried about him being the next Tua, being the next Jalen Hurts, being the next Bryce Young. I'm not worried about that. Because I haven't seen enough for him to be that. Now, he very well could be that, and he could prove everybody wrong. Doug talked about that on the Max Roundtable. He said, if he goes out and proves me wrong, yeah. good. So be it. But I don't see it right now. Let's let's hit a break here because I want to come back and give full uh, full time to play this game. Oh, right goodness. Here. Okay. We'll, t- we'll talk about what? SEC quarterbacks and ranking them? Is that what we're yes. going to be doing? Okay. We'll talk about ranking SEC quarterbacks given the news today, given the question marks here in Auburn and the veterans across the SEC. We'll talk about that when we come back. Give us a call. 334-321-1390. Dixie Electric Plumbing and Air's newest giveaway is going to help you see the light. Your home is about to get a glow up when you receive $5,000 in new landscape lighting, making you the light of the party all summer long. But don't turn the lights off yet. To brighten your day, we're going to be giving away prizes every week on our website and social media pages leading up to the grand prize announcement on May 31st. You have between now and May 28th to enter, so head over to calldixie.com to light the way with Dixie. License number 15033. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Let's get to the phone lines here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, 334-321-1390. Terry, you're on the line. Good to hear from you, man. Good talk to you. Hey, Jacob. Hey, Carter. How y'all doing? Doing well, man. Terry, how are you? Pretty good. 
Uh, something that's not mentioned enough that always talks a bigger factor with this whole thing, Jacob and Carter. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the talent around him is near as good as some of the quarterbacks like like Tua at Alabama. Jones. Mm-hmm. Oh Alabama. yeah, I mean he's not as good of a quarterback. I mean, where he doesn't have the first round receivers. I do think that. I think it's safe to assume for me that the offensive line will be a little bit improved. I think the receivers have to be better because it was the worst we've seen since 2008 when Nick Saban yeah, first They don't have Alabama. a Carter. They don't have a Judy or a Cooper exactly. or a Smith down there. They, they had a run from Julio Jones to Jamison Williams where they always, always had a first-round receiver on the mm-hmm. roster. Sometimes right. they had two, three, even four and right now, they don't have that. They don't have that. I don't think the I, – I think Tyler Buckner is enough of a downgrade because Bryce Young carried that team. Think about the Texas game last year. He has to do mag- He had to do magical stuff to get them wins sometimes. Think yeah, about the Iron Bowl two years ago. He won for them. Think about the three games he won for them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Think about the Iron Bowl two years ago, that final drive. Mm-hmm. Like, right. he had to do – spectacular stuff. I He is the best quarterback they've had, but he's had the worst supporting cast around him that these Nick Saban Alabama teams have had, and I think a large portion of why that's happened, you look over in Athens, Georgia, and you look at what Kirby Smart has done. I think that is why we have seen this take place. Tyler Buckner is a significant downgraded quarterback. I think if you are looking at this Alabama season now, the state of it now, I don't think they go better than ten and two, because I think LSU. If it comes down to straight up quarterback play, LSU's got the best quarterback in the conference. Going up against Alabama head to head, LSU's going to beat Alabama in the current state. I think you're being generous saying ten and two. I think you're more like a nine and three. Well, I, the reason why I say ten and two, Terry, is their schedule is radically favorable. They get Texas mm. at home. They get Ole Miss at home. They do have to go to College Station. Other games are at home. Tennessee at home. LSU at home. And then they do have to go to Auburn for the the Iron Bowl. Hey, by the way, guys, did y'all hear the other news? Y'all were talking about Doug's show today. Did y'all hear the other news he dropped about the Auburn quarterback situation? Say that again, I'm sorry. Did did y'all happen to hear who Doug Amos said on the Max Round table today about who – might be interested in being the quarterback at Auburn, and he dropped the name I totally didn't expect. That I got, I I got an idea of who you're about to say. Yeah, who is I it? I just said it. Tulia Tungavailoa. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. I've, I've seen that. I've seen that smoke uh, seen a little rumors. bit, and and he'd be the best quarterback in Auburn's room, as, as far as I'm concerned. They're By just far. rumors at this point in time. Yeah, he'd be a significant upgrade. We're talking about a guy who's thrown for who balls a out at Maryland amount of yards. And is a 70% passer. Auburn mm-hmm. does not have a guy who can sniff that right now. And he's accurate. Accuracy is a big key right now. He is a 67.5% passer for his career. He has thrown for 8,000 yards, or 21 yards short of 8,000. He has 52 passing touchdowns. He has experience. Auburn Auburn's quarterbacks, if you combine them all, they don't get... A tenth of the way there? Would it be a graduate transfer or a portal guy? Uh, I think it would be have to be a graduate transfer because he already transferred from Alabama to Maryland. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're right. There. Alabama there, yeah. fans would be upset because I think in their minds, Talia oh, is apart. a much better quarterback than Tyler Buckner. 
Absolutely, and they have come apart. Now, I'm telling you something, guys. I'm going to say this. Talia Tungavaloa did not want to go to the University of Alabama. I think that's obvious now. But he did not. He was forced to go there. It was a deal. It was a deal off, off, you know, off behind the scenes a little bit. He did not want to go to Alabama, and that's the point. The point I'm making right now. That's why he's at Maryland right now. And that's why he may end up being up at Auburn or somewhere else. Did not want to go to Alabama, but that, that kills Alabama fans. But Terry, Terry from Auburn doesn't care. <laughs> Terry from Auburn doesn't Terry, care. I mean, very I mean, well. I, I mean, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense why he may not want to, given the option between Auburn and Alabama, if he were to hop in the portal. He would not go to want, want to go to Alabama because well one I don't think this Alabama team this next year is good enough to win a national championship and yeah, he will never in one year playing at Alabama remotely live up to what Tua was for Alabama for that program and for that fan base. Now what I predict this uh, when he gets the NFL I think he'll have a better NFL career than Tua did. Interesting. I don't think either of them are going to have. I don't either. Good. That's NFL. what I was going to say. You- I don't think I, think I don't think the NFL than Tua. I don't think Talia really gets any starts, in my opinion, if I were to guess. I mean, I think he's a really good college quarterback. I think he's a significant upgrade over anything well, else. T- well, Carter, even if he's sitting on the bench holding a clipboard, he can make money that me and you or Jacob will ever see. You're right about that. That is, that is true, yes. <laughs> Appreciate the call, Terry. It's good to hear from you, Terry. That is, again, Terry from Auburn joining us here on the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Yes, that has been a name that has been floating around. It's smoke to this point, and that is all we can say on that because that's all it is. I mean, it's smoke, but, yeah. I mean, if Auburn were to go and get Talia Tungavailoa, You'd be you'd be in a really, really good situation if you're Auburn's quarterback I mean, room. He's, he's not Grayson McCall. He's no. not. Grayson McCall is about the ceiling on what Auburn could land. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Uh, I, I, I don't know if he's going to graduate or have the grades to be able to transfer or if he's just going to sit tight at Coastal. I don't think that door is 100% closed, but I'm not leaning. I'm not confident that Grayson McCall could be Auburn's quarterback this fall. Here's a name for you that I've heard a um, friend of the show, Zach Blackerby, mention, and it's... Just a name to keep an eye on. What about a guy like Casey Thompson at Nebraska? I've heard that. I've heard that name a couple of times. It's not one that's gotten a lot of traction because it's not a Casey Thompson is not the it's not the sexy name, right? Nebraska is not the the flashy program right now. Well, they've been well because they've had Scott Frost exactly as head coach. They've had, but he's a solid. He's a solid had, player. Auburn had Potato Brian Harson. They have Corn Brian Harson in Nebraska in Scott Frost. Yeah, it's it's been really bad. But I've heard that name a couple of times pop up for this situation. And I think when you start talking about potential names for Auburn's quarterback room, because look, as much as Auburn as as much as a lot of Auburn fans love Robbie Ashford and believe in Robbie Ashford that he can be the guy here, I just don't see it. I don't. I don't see Robbie Ashford being the guy that can lead Auburn out of this little hole of darkness that they've been in and get them on the other side and get them to compete in the SEC West and get them to double-digit wins. This year, next year, or beyond, Robbie Ashford is not it. I think you have to go and get somebody because... And he's too fragile. That shoulder gets hurt too easily. We've seen it get hurt twice already in limited playing time. It's still hurt. That's the problem. I think it's gotten healthier, but the, the fact that it's gotten hurt twice and he's missed... Either he's been limited in practice in the fall or he's been 
uh, playing through injury in the fall or missing practice in the spring because mm-hmm. of the shoulder after getting it looked at after getting it. I think he had may have had some sort of procedure on it. Um, but the fact that all of that is taking place and it's still not, it still is getting hurt. That's concerning. I think Robbie Ashford could down the road at full potential be a good SEC quarterback. But I also think that there is this, and I think it's a product of the last two coaching staffs, Gus Malzahn and his inability to develop any quarterback at all. True. If you go back through Gus Malzahn's entire coaching career at the college level. If they weren't good when they showed up, they weren't good when they left. There is not a high school quarterback Gus Malzahn has ever developed. Ever. Because his quarterback, his quarterbacks at UCF, since he left, he did not have any at Auburn, he did not have any at at Arkansas, Arkansas State, Tulsa, anywhere. At UCF, they have been Dylan Gabriel, who he inherited, and John Rice Plumley, who transferred in. We have not seen quarterback development out of him. Brian Harson was a disaster that we all know. I think the last two coaching staffs have poisoned the brains of Auburn fans. And they are mentally settling for Robbie Ashford. And they've convinced them themselves that's the best Auburn can do. That's not the best Auburn can do. Look at Hugh Freeze's history. He's I agree. done more with a heck of a lot less. And then he's even had Malik Willis and, and uh, Chad Kelly be studs. The timing's just not right on Robbie Ashford, in my opinion. But we'll talk to Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast, when we come back. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. We've got 30 more minutes here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. I'm Jacob Goetz. He's Carter Bird here on ESPN 106.7. And welcoming in Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, who has been uh, stirring up some fun here in Auburn with our listeners as he comes on and has something to say just about every single week. But Chris, this is not the new man. You've been doing this since day one when I had you on the show. Yeah, look, man, I'm always going to tell you what I think. Uh, when I'm wrong, I'll be the first one to come on and admit when I'm wrong. I'm just, I'm giving you what I see, how I feel, and uh, look, if I hurt some feelings, I'm sorry. Hey, we love it, man. That's why, that's why you've been one of our longest tenured guests here on this program, and we always enjoy talking to you every single week, man. Chris, I, I, I think we got to go ahead and get it out of the way. We, we're going to give you your, your time to gloat over the Astros sweep of our Braves. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was impressive, but I, I like. What was even more impressive than sweeping the, the Braves was going to take a two out of three in Tampa. The last yeah, how about days. that? Like Tampa, all I heard was, oh, my God, they can't lose. They're undefeated at home. And, yeah, the Astros went and handed them two L's and shut them out in their house with the, the great offense they have. So, yeah, it's so weird. Like, the Astros lose, lose to, like, the Detroit Tigers and the Texas Rangers and, like, all these teams that are supposed to stink, and yet they turn it on when they play good. Yeah, so they weird. they take five out of six against the two best teams and record wise in <laughs> baseball. Yeah, I mean it's just it's how it goes sometimes. I always tell people don't overreact to April baseball; it's a long road. Yes, it is. It's a very very long road, and the Astros playing well, playing better as of late, but. Let's get into the biggest news around the SEC. It's why we have you on here, host of the Locked On SEC podcast. And Chris, we got to start with the news that came today on the other side of our state up in Tuscaloosa. Has the Crimson Tide found their quarterback in 2023 with the Notre Dame quarterback transfer, Tyler Buckner? 
Yeah, it, it certainly seems that way. Um, it kind of stinks because I recorded uh, an interview for my show tomorrow talking about the possibility of getting Tyler Buckner. And I always hate <laughs> when it comes out like a few hours later. Yeah, it's official. He's going there. Um, yeah, it just made sense because, you know, look, that, that neither Jalen Miller or Ty Simpson had established themselves out of the spring. And the fact that they were both turning the ball over, you know, throwing bad interceptions. Uh, in the spring game on Saturday, I think Nick Saban just said, look, this this ain't going to work. Like, we need really good quarterback play. And the thing with Tyler Buckner is I think everybody gets wrapped up in looking at his stats and what he did at Notre Dame in, in small sample size. You, you can't look at that. you got to look at the fact that he's a four-star. You know, it's a kid who was a four-star recruit, highly touted quarterback coming out of high school, and knows Tommy Reese's playbook, knows the system, and I think is going to be a safe play. Like, if he ends up being the guy, it's because – you know, they, they think he won't turn the ball over. He'll he'll t- take care of things. But I think this is also a message from Nick Saban. He's trying to send the Milro and Simpson that, hey, if y'all can't do it, I'm bringing in somebody else who can shape up or ship out. And so I think what Saban feels like is somewhere in this mix, either Buckner's going to win the job and he's going to run the Tommy Reese system where he's comfortable in and, and he knows it very well, or it's going to push one of Simpson or Milro to step up, elevate their game, and grab the bull by the horns and be the guy. So I get what Saban's doing, but, man, it was a stark, uh, you know, crashing down to reality watching Alabama spring game on Saturday where I thought the off- the defense was fantastic. I thought the run game was good. But, man, they have taken a big, a big step back at quarterback, and that's saying something for a program that went from, you know, to attack of Iloa to Matt Jones to, uh, you know, Bryce Young these last two years winning a Heisman. I think that the Alabama standard has been raised so much. We're not used to seeing good to good to mediocre quarterback yeah. play, and that's kind of where Alabama is right now. Yeah, I mean, you you got to go back to uh, what Jacob Coker and Blake Sims to find a quarterback that wasn't a top two round pick. I mean, Jalen Hurts to Tua to Mac Jones to Bryce Young. Just how much of a drop off do you expect this to be? Especially because Bryce Young just does special things that you don't see at the quarterback position and in the pocket, making people miss, taking over games, making plays. How much of a drop-off is this going to be in your mind for 23? Well, and just to show we're not overreacting, I had to go back and look at the 2021 Alabama 8A stats because I'm a, I'm a psycho that way. But Bryce Young, actually, like he grabbed the ball by the horns that day. He threw for 333 yards, one touchdown, no, no picks, didn't turn the ball over. And he outplayed Braxton Barker, and uh, I think it was uh, – I forget who the other quarterbacks were at the time, but like he played them out and said, I'm the guy. And I think that's what we were hoping for. But let's put this in perspective as well. If we saw what those two guys did on Saturday, Jalen Miller and Ty Simpson, had they done that at, you know, had they played for Auburn and they did that in Auburn spring game, we would be throwing a parade at Auburn right now. Like they were good. They just weren't great. And that's where I say the Bama standard has become so, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. Alabama fans have come to expect superior quarterback play out of their quarterbacks at Alabama because the last several ones have been. This is kind of a taking a step backward. Hey, we can be, you know, great quarterback play, but not superior and still win with that. You know, you mentioned Jake Coker and Blake Sims. They could do that at Bama. You can, if this out, if this defense plays lights out and the run game is good, you can win with average to, to good quarterback play. But I just think Alabama fans have come to expect so much better. And I think the, the turnovers is what concerns Saban. I think he's looking at it going, guys, don't make stupid decisions. Play smart football. That's what we want. With Buckner coming in to this this 
Alabama quarterback room. They now have five scholarship quarterbacks. How do you see that playing out? Because, I mean, with, with scholarships are at such a premium in college football. I don't think you can roll with five, can you? No, somebody's going to leave. I mean, you know, they, they just signed the number five and number six quarterbacks in the country in this class. And, you know, I thought they both did some things on Saturday. It looked pretty good. I think Lonard did looked okay. Um, you know, so somebody's going to leave. The, the problem at this point is, as far as I understand, the SEC with their new rule is if you enter the portal right now at this point, you cannot transfer and play immediately at another SEC school unless, you know, you're a grad transfer or whatever. So I saw somebody saying, oh, maybe Milrow can go to Auburn. Yeah, not so fast. Yeah. He would have to sit out a year. Um, but maybe maybe that's what you Freeze would look at and go, damn, we can get a talent like Jalen Milrow come in, sit, learn our system for a year and be the guy in 2024? Hell yeah. So, um, you know, maybe that's a consideration. But, yeah, unless there's some kind of super exceptional waiver, the new rule is, if you're an SEC, you know, if you if you want to transfer at this point and you're a quarterback, like you can't just go to another SEC school. It would have to be elsewhere in the country. But I just can't see Milrow and Simpson both sitting there. Like I think one of them's got to get some clarity. Hey, am I the starter or not? And if not, I think that guy is going to be on the way out and transfer it out. So yeah, this is uh, this is interesting, man. And and again, I just want to caution Alabama fans who are looking at Buckner stats at Notre Dame, like. <laughs> This is he's going to be playing with much better talent going from Notre Dame to Alabama. So um, I think there's a there's a chance Buckner could win this job, be the starter, and, and elevate his game and be really really good. Speaking with Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast, he joins us every Thursday at three thirty here on On the Line. We're talking a lot about the transfer portal. That's what's going on right now, and it's open for just a few more days. It closes on April thirtieth. Chris, a lot of questions here in Auburn uh, for us uh, from our listeners about just the the quietness and the calmness of the transfer portal here in Auburn and really around college football. And, and a couple of reasons we've come up with are maybe strategy from coaches, not telling players that uh, they're either going to be the guy or not going to be the guy to try to hold them on their rosters. And also with the movement of the transfer portal window with all spring practices still wrapping up across the country. What's your take on why the transfer portal here in this spring period hasn't been as chaotic as some thought it would be? Well, I think it's what you said. I think coaches are done doing that thing where they used to name a starter post-spring ball or, hey, let's meet. I'll tell you where you are in the depth chart. You know, it's like an old Miss. If Jackson Dart or Spencer Sanders goes to Lane Kiffin and goes, Coach, where am I? He's going to go, I don't know, man. I'm not naming a starter right now. Like, they want these guys to stay and play it out. So, yeah, this is going to be um, this is gonna be interesting. I'm, I really thought there would be more guys jumping into the portal, but – I think that's what it is. I think coaches are too afraid to tell a guy where they are because they don't want to lose them. And so if you're a player, you know, you're sitting in a spot where you've been at least through all fall and, and spring, and you're sitting there going, well, do I transfer? I don't know. You know, I, Can I risk going somewhere else at this point? So I think there's a lot of situations like that. And then you have the few where NIL's playing a factor. You know, Bear Alexander jumped ship from Georgia to go out to USC. So there's some. there's been some situations like that, but uh, – yeah, I am surprised it has been, you know, not as active as we thought it might be. Chris, with I guess just days left in this transfer portal period, do you see it picking up and do you see Auburn finding that quarterback somewhere in the transfer portal? Yeah, I get, we keep saying it we think so, but I just don't know who that guy is. You know, again the, the Grayson McCall name was one that kept popping up. Um, you know, I, I, I joked yesterday. I was like, if Alabama doesn't want Buckner, he can go to go to Auburn, and uh, you know, he could be a starter there. But 
I you're right about like, that. I, I keep looking. I keep looking at the Philip Montgomery and, and Hugh Freeze. Like I feel like they keep going back to Robbie Ashford and going, man, like can, can we do better than this? Is there something better out there? Because you know we talked with TJ Finley a week ago. It sounds like you know most likely when he graduates in June, he'll let the portal be on the way out. So it feels like they got to add somebody. But man, when you look at the portal, there's just not there's not that guy. Like nobody, you know, it's it's not that that dude that would just come in and be an immediate upgrade out there. So. I don't know, man. I think I still think they're going to add somebody. I just don't know who it is at this point. Right, and that's been our conversation here today with Buckner committing to Alabama. And I asked a question to our listeners: Was would Auburn fans be excited if Buckner had decided to come to Auburn and gotten the offer and committed here? I mean, would Auburn fans have been excited for for Buckner to be coming to the Plains? Because sure, he'd be an upgrade. I just don't know how much of an upgrade. And I think Auburn fans are still looking for that portal quarterback. But again, it comes back to there are still schools around the country wrapping up spring football. Yeah, and, and the guy that I thought probably would have made a little sense, and, it, you know, it's not going to happen now, but the guy who was the starter on the backstretch of the season last year at Vanderbilt, he's been there several years, he went to SEC Media Days last year, Mike Wright, yeah. he transferred this offseason to Mississippi State, and it was just so weird to me because I'm like, dude, Will Rogers is the starter there. Like, what are you doing? And he played in the spring game. They, you know, one ran one team, the other went, ran the other, and I thought Mike Wright, like he, his throwing ability is decent, but it's his running ability. It's so good. And as I was watching him, I kept thinking in my head, like, man, he might be a little bit of an upgrade over Robbie Ashford. So I don't know. It's weird. He's second string at Mississippi State. I don't think he's leaving, but uh, that's one that, in hindsight, if I'm Hugh Freeze, I would have lobbied a call to him because I thought, you know, that's a guy that, that looks like, you know, thing almost frame as Malik Willis. Not the same arm, but, uh, you know, that just looked like a guy that, that could run that Hugh Freeze system. And Chris, on the 30th, when the transfer portal will officially close, that's the final day for it. Spring practices will be wrapping up this weekend with a couple of schools wrapping up with their spring games. Coming out of the spring around the Southeastern Conference, whether it be here in Auburn or anywhere else in the SEC, your biggest takeaway is out of the spring, whether it be position battles or coaching, new coaches, new systems like we're seeing at Mississippi State. What, in your mind, are the biggest storylines coming out of the spring around the SEC? Yeah, uh, I mean, to me, like, just looking at big picture, uh, my biggest takeaway from the spring is that I think George is even better. Um, what I saw from Carson Beck, I mean, it looked like he picked up, like, if, if you would have just been watching through binoculars and you weren't really paying attention to the number of the jersey, you would have thought Spencer Bennett was back at quarterback. Like Carson Beck looked so good running that offense that, uh, you know, he, and, and I say this again, like he's, he's even more, he's more gifted than, than Spencer Bennett. He's more talented. Now he's not better quality wise right now, but he might get there. And if he gets there based on what Georgia's schedule looks like, I mean, I hate to say it guys, but three Pete is actually something that should be uh, a word that should be, you know, throwing around in Athens right now. Like, they have a really good chance to run the table and win another championship with Carson Beck at quarterback. And it's just an embarrassment of riches. Looking at Georgia in the spring game, like, there's so much depth on that defense. It reminds me of Bama five, six, seven years ago when they started to become this elite team of putting together top five on top five on top five recruiting classes where, you know, you're three and four deep with four and five-star talent everywhere. It's just it's it's an embarrassment of riches, and to me, I just don't know who's going to beat Georgia this year. I mean, maybe Joe Milton if he rises to the occasion and you know becomes a Heisman contender like Hendon Hooker did this past year. Maybe Tennessee has a chance, but 
Outside of that, I don't see where Georgia loses a game. And so I think it's them. And I think the West is, is, is really wide open. And I think it's an opportunity here for LSU. I was really impressed with what I saw from LSU's quarterbacks on Saturday in their spring game. Jane Daniels, another year in the Mike Denbrock offense, looks great. Garrett Nussmeyer, their backup, looks looks really good. We saw him, obviously, in the SEC Championship in the bowl game. Uh, you know, he's a gunslinger. He's going to let it fly. And the stat that stood out to me, guys, was Jane Daniels for LSU on Saturday threw seven passes before he ran the ball. That's such a stark contrast from last year where he was kind of you know, it was if the pass isn't there, we're going to tuck it and run it. And there was so much running. I think he led the country in rush attempts at the quarterback spot. This year, I think you're going to see a more poised Jane Daniels sitting back there in the pocket wanting to throw because he wants to improve his NFL draft stock and show, you know, show the league that he can be that competent quarterback. He's not just a runner. And if he does that, man, LSU is going to be scary. And that trip to Tuscaloosa suddenly doesn't look as scary because you've got not one but two competent starting quarterbacks and right now, Alabama doesn't have any. Yeah, LSU, I think, is a sleeping giant on this side of the SEC. Chris, one more thing before we let you get out of here. Tonight is the first round of the 2023 NFL Draft, which you can catch right here on ESPN 106.7. Who goes number one overall? And then who uh, who's a draft pick that may surprise some people from the Southeastern Conference? Yeah, I talked to my guys in Carolina. They said it's Bryce Young. I mean, they're already printing the jerseys and stuff. So Bryce is going to go number one to Carolina, and, and good for them. Uh, Houston is going to surprise. Uh, everything I've heard today, I, I thought Will Anderson was going to be the guy, but it sounds like they're going to go with Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. Wow! Uh, the ironic part—the ironic part about that is he was a Texas A&M recruit in 2018. He's a guy who actually started in the SEC and finished in the Big 12. But they like his upside. They run a four-three defense. D'Amico Ryan's does, and he fits that more than Will Anderson. They believe. Now, I still think Will Anderson's the more talented player. I would say. Let's draft him, and we'll figure out how he fits our system. But uh, it sounds like they're going to go Tyree Wilson, too. And if that happens, man, all hell's going to break loose because I've heard Tennessee may trade up from 11 to 3 to jump the Colts to go get one of their quarterbacks, albeit C.J. Stroud. And if that happens, who do the Colts take it for? Do they take Anthony Richardson or Will Levis? So I say all that to say there's going to be a lot of SEC guys going off the board very early. So are we going to see three SEC quarterbacks go in the top five and – Potentially four in the first round. Yeah, I think Hendon's going to get going to sneak in the first round. Right. I've been told the Texans the Texans loved him. The Texans own the thirty third overall pick. That's the second pick tomorrow night. I think if 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 Hendon is there, we get down to pick 27, 28, 29, I think the Texans are going to be on the phone furiously trying to trade back into the first because the benefit there is you get the fifth year option on the quarterback. We know you know Baltimore did the same thing with Lamar Jackson, so. Um, yeah, I think at the end of the day tonight, guys, I think we're going to talk about Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Bryce Young, and Hendon Hooker, four SEC quarterbacks all go in the first round, which will be a conference record. It's going to be a very, very memorable 2023 NFL draft. And again, you can catch that right here on ESPN 106.7. Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast, joins us at 3.30 on Thursdays every single week right here on On The Line. Chris, we appreciate you as always, man. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and what you got coming up with Locked On SEC. Yeah, just locked on SEC.com. We've got uh, our recruiting expert, uh, John Garcia Jr., on the show tomorrow talking all things recruiting. So we get his thoughts on Auburn and Alabama and uh, all the rest of the SEC schools. So uh, check that out tomorrow. All right, Chris, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week, all right? 
right, thanks, guys. That is Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast. we got to get to our final break here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. We'll come back and uh, have a few words to close it out here on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up the Thursday edition of On the Line. Big thanks to Chris Gordy of the Locked on SEC podcast. Again, he joins us every every Thursday at 3.30. There was a tongue twister. Every Thursday at 3.30 right here on On the Line. We appreciate him. Nothing super controversial this time, except he did say uh, pretty much nobody's going to be able to stop Georgia this year in college football. So Auburn fans probably don't like to hear that, but had some interesting things to say about the SEC coming out of spring practice, about Auburn's quarterback room, about Alabama's quarterback room, and the NFL draft. So if you missed any of that conversation or any of today's show, be sure to go and catch up and find the podcast right after the show today commercial free just search on the line wherever you get your podcast or at espnau.com carter the nfl draft for 2023 begins tonight you can tune in right here on espn 106.7 tonight starting at six o'clock tomorrow at five o'clock and saturday at 11 a.m we will have the entire 2023 nfl draft right here on espn 106.7 so we're proud to be able to bring you that is it bryce young number one overall tonight yeah, I think it's Bryce Young. I think we get three SEC quarterbacks in the top five. Um, my Colts are going to take either C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson. And you'd rather have? God, I really don't want Will Levis. I really don't. <laughs> like, I'd be fine with Will Levis, but I think Anthony Richardson might be like generationally good when you get to when you get him a year or two down the road and let him develop a little yeah bit. the hype he's getting i mean there are guys there are people around he the process league. is so well yeah there and are people scramble when he's under pressure he right. looks to complete passes i love it they're saying he could be legendary i think i think he which is huge really expectations could. and he's got a cannon yes he has a cannon and he's he was what the heaviest quarterback ever at the combine and ran the fastest of any quarterback at the combine and yeah. had the best vertical of any quarterback at the combine. His athletic ability is crazy. And it's the fact that the more you look into his processing and how he how he plays the quarterback position, there is a little bit of consistency stuff he's got to work on, but the the mental aspects are all there. I think he's going to be special if he goes to the right place. Think about if he would have had the athletes at Florida that they normally have. Or if they just caught passes. That too. I, you, you can say that for him. You can say that for Bryce Young. Yeah. Bryce Young on, on the, the two-point play uh, against LSU, he has, it is a special play. And it is in traffic. It's off uh, off platform. And he makes an unbelievable pass on a slant. And his receiver just drops just it. Dropped and it. Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young have that in common. They can they can reminisce about that in this quarterback draft class in the green room if they're both there because had they had good receivers, they would have been unbelievable these this past year. Auburn should have some guys get their names called as well over the next couple of days. Tune in again tonight starting at 6 p.m. The 2023 NFL Draft right here on ESPN 106.7 and ESPNAU.com. We're out of time, though. Come back tomorrow, 2 to 4, right here on ESPN 106.7. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.